Namotasa Bhagavatorato Sama Samudasa, Namotasa Bhagavatorato Sama Samudasa, Namotasa Bhagavatorato Sama Samudasa. Sake of all beings, wisdom, compassion, and non clinging awareness. Now, the, the subject for this weekend is on blessings, Mangala. And uh, I don't know if you're interested in hearing about that, about blessings. But uh, that is the theme. I'd like to. I have a particular teaching I'd like to give on that. But uh, as usual, hello Stephanie, way back there. Can you hear me back there? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> is there any room up here? The chair closer here. There. How about the back row there? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me back there? Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, as usual, <laughs> I'm very interested to hear what you, if you have any questions. I could speak uh, for many, many days on uh, the nature of blessings. It's a it's a beautiful um, teaching. But I'd also like to know what uh, uh, you have as questions to do with liberation or freedom. Uh, dharma and meditation, which are all one and the same. But if you have any questions, I'd be very happy to address that. I'm more interested in what's on your, what's on your mind than uh, a, a topic. It will be the same thing, by the way, just a different approach. Yes? And then you, went to, then you went to over the neighbor and blamed it on the neighbor <laughs> and accused the neighbor of, of causing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, it's fascinating when you step back and look at why do you get so angry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good, very good, that's a very good question and, and uh, that's worthy, that's, that's certainly wonderful. could speak on that. Um, and I might and be very happy to. Um, the question is very important. It's a, it's a wonderful uh, question, is, uh, which I'm happy to provide an answer. You don't have to accept it. But the, re- the real question there is, is, do you have to be angry when you're in pain? Do you have to be frustrated when you're in pain? Can you be in a loving state? Can you be in a very, very uh, wholesome, beautiful state when you're in pain? Uh, can you be uh, in pain and pleasure at the same time? Can you be in pain and have a wonderful mental state at the same time? Some people think it's impossible. So that's, worth, that's certainly worthy of, um, of talking about. Any others? I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. Any others that somebody might have? Yes. Mm, mm, mm. And I would, somehow to me, uh, the topic of blessings and, and the right 
Yeah, this is this is a tough one. There's there is a, there's an attitude um, today. I, I wrote an email to Stephanie some time ago um, about this, concerning people saying, "Well, you know, could you give us uh, uh, meditations and methods that we can use for daily life?" And somehow a meditation and uh, something uh, overcomes uh, what I call madness, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, and this is on the topic of this weekend, blessings. Uh, it's really important when you come to the study of uh, Dharma, study of freedom, is actually to learn about human beings, get very, very real about life. And uh, this was pointed out by the historic Buddha thousands of years ago, you know, 2,500 years ago. Uh, and you're not going to probably like to hear this, um, but his take on it is uh, most people are mad. Did you like to hear that? No, probably not. But most people are mad. And if you look at the day, uh, even among, not, let's say not your, yourself, your friends, perhaps, people that, you know, not, not the person beside you, but not, not yourself. But there are times in the day when there is completely irrational uh, um, fear, uh, hysteria, uh, anxiety, uh, pain and, and frustration mixed together, maybe even a rage. So you whack your hand and break your fingers or uh, hurt your elbow for, for months. You go, why, why? If you go to the workplace, uh, because I've been there, I spent many, many years uh, working uh, a, a, what's called a regular job. Uh, at any given time, you have a certain population of people in the workplace that are literally a little bit crazy, yes? And uh, we now know from statistics that 60% of all people, on U at least on U.S. highways and roads, are intoxicated, 60%, on either alcohol or drugs. 60%. And uh, I've worked in workplaces where we've got people on cocaine, uh, on marijuana, who are in a rage because of something that happened that morning when they left for work. They're worried about money. They're on drugs. Okay. So you are in a, you know, in a place where people look and seem to be normal, but in fact are dealing with issues all the time. And if you want to put it in a, in a certain funny way, which I don't consider funny, the brain chemistry is um, a little bit out of whack. So who knows what's going to happen? If you add up all the people on the roads who are on alcohol, drugs, and then, and then prescription drugs, or distracted, talking to cell phones, uh, in a rage, uh, in lust, Ever seen uh, guys and women who can't either looking at their cell phone or following? They're not. There's there's not even a moment where there's any presence. No, it's mad. Actually mad. So good luck. That's not a message you want to hear, did you? Good luck. And now I, I mean that in a certain sense, because there's this idea that. Uh, you can do a little bit of meditation, you can do a little bit of work, you can read some spiritual books and go out there and change things. Magically change things. How do you work with people that are demented? How do you work with people that are coming at you in a rage? You can. 
but it takes extraordinary capacity and skill to be able to turn a person's mind who's in that kind of state, which is very normal today, into moving somewhere that's actually really wholesome. So I, I, instead of going, yes, I'll give you an antidote, which is, yes, practice loving kindness, be more compassionate, be more aware, be mindful, and so on, which, which is all part of it. One of the things you have to do without being negative and without being nihilistic and without being um, down on yourself and down on the world is get very, very real about the state of suffering and the state of misery and the state of gray misery and mania like this that most people are in. Like, get real about it. Which takes the surprise away. Takes off the blinkers and the glow, the spiritual glow about how lovely people are. They are, they're beautiful. I mean, I, I just love human beings. Marvelous. But don't be deluded about the depth of suffering of human beings. Did you see the difference? Another, word, another way of saying this is love human beings tremendously. You should. It's easy. Have a tremendous love and compassion for human beings. But that also comes because you realize the depths of blindness and frustration and rage, madness that many, many millions of people are going through at any given time. That takes off the you know those, um, those horse blinkers, like this? So you actually see beings in a different way. Not negative, but actually as they really are. I think that's, I think that's number one. Yeah. You can meditate as much as you want, be extremely peaceful and open and spacious. I know people who do this all the time. And then they walk over to the corner store and someone says, boo to them and they collapse. A collapse. Because there's not the insight into the nature of suffering. There's not the insight into the nature of what beings are really going through. The level of frustration a person can hold that seemingly looks very pleasant and very nice. Have you met those types? Hi. How are you? Watch out. <coughs> And they're holding up a rose. <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, dangerous. It's often a shock. Uh, I mean, I spend a good part of the year um, teaching, uh, either in retreat and teaching retreats. And it's often a shock to people who, who are in retreat for three or four or five days who come to me and go, now, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It happens every once in a while. Like this, but usually it's quieter. But this is, now, wait a minute. I thought I was in a retreat where it's, it gets all calm. How come I feel like mad? How come my thoughts are, are spinning around? How come I feel so frustrated? How come I feel so desirous? And it's very simple. You've never noticed it before. Never noticed it. Life is just too busy to actually see the incessant state of friction uh, in the organism. So there's a there's a, a point for yourself. Uh, is that frustration doesn't suddenly come up. That frustration, in fact, is low level all the time. 
It just needs something to kick it to kick it off, and away it goes. Because it wants to kick it off somewhere. Okay? It's very easy. So some for, for some, it's a, a tremendous amount of of inner frustration that's never seen, except when it flares. And for some, it's incredible greed, lust, longing, must be loved, must love. You know? Others, totally delusional. Living in la-la land about life. Making up stories all the time. Everything has a story. Not just internet stories, but incredible stories about everything. Everything has a story. Let me tell you about this, let me tell you about that. And then others basically walking through every day in a state of jealousy. There, of course, there's mixtures here, yes? Jealous about this, jealous about this, driven by jealousy. You know? Others, prideful beings, driven by pride. So in the language of Buddha Dharma, which is not politically so acceptable today, uh, being driven like that is a, is a type of madness, yes? It's a type of madness. And it's not that people aren't lovely and sweet and kind, because they are, but uh, scratch the surface, and it doesn't take a lot for these states to, to pop out. Yeah, it's mad. So you have you have many many mad people. Yeah, my question is yep. just again to give you a bit of a background. It appears he told the the Wall Street Journal yep. that he's a Jewish blind developer. In fact, it turns out he's probably a, an Egyptian Coptic Christian. So in fact, what he's doing with the evil is he's really setting up the Jews. That's not so hard, really. I don't. I don't make a a distinction. I, it, 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 partly for myself, and also partly by tradition. Uh, in, in in terms of Buddha Dharma, uh, a tradition of Dharma, there is no evil. There is just a scale of unwholesomeness of beings. As a matter of fact, you want to get evil. Uh, Mao Zedong took the record of the most direct killings: seventy-five million known direct killings. That's, he took the record, all-time record. Uh, Stalin was, didn't even come close to only 35 million. Extraordinary, isn't it? Extraordinary. Extraordinary beings. Uh, I, let me, let me uh, come from this, this direction. I'm going to answer your question, maybe just give a suggestion. 
the depths. Uh, you know what? Let me let me let me try this. When you personally have a problem, when you personally have an issue, as a Westerner, what's the number one thing that you usually do? Usually do. Your anger, yes? Your insanity, your paranoia, your unlove, your greed, your lust, your jealousy, your rage, yes? It's none of yours. It's not yours at all. You don't, you don't own it. You didn't produce it. You, you, you the, the seeming you, tends to foster it. <laughs> but uh, the states of mind of the beings that would produce a movie like that and the ones that would protest and think that, that Mohammed could be in somehow deflamed or injured or hurt by a movie is mad. But that madness exists in all beings, maybe not to that scale, but in some seed form, that level of frustration, that level of doubt, that level of lack of confidence, that little tiny being in there screaming, uh, is actually in most beings, no matter how nice they are. And it's not their problem. It's actually uh, a, the nature of being born a human being is to be conditioned and raised in cultures and actually be uh, to take on and be part of the history of being human. This, this, should this should bring about tremendous compassion and also bring about some patience too. This is not the first time in history that beings have done mad things. There'll be more. Has anybody ever been an administrator in a large organization? Or still is? Anybody run a corporation or a... Yeah? Do you ever have days where you kind of go, you walk in and you go, what's it going to be today? Has anybody ever been there where it's, what is it going to be? What's going to come across the table today? What's going, to hap what's going to happen on the phone today? What, what little moment of madness in a sea of quite lovely beings is going to erupt and consume the entire day? Yes? That's happening all over the world. There are beings doing lovely, lovely, lovely things. Yes? Beautiful, altruistic, lovely things. And there are people having flare-ups of utter insanity under the guise of normalcy. It's not normal. It's normal, but it's not sane. Is it? Have you had those days? Ever been in an institution where it happens every single day? I have. Every single day. And when it doesn't happen for three quarters of a day, go, what's going on? <laughs> All we have to do is wait till tomorrow morning. Oh, the minister is going to cut off funding for the institution. Oh, the, uh, the instructors come in with uh, an accusation. Oh, students come in with a, uh, an abusive situation. Oh, what is it going to be next? Just sit there and wait. And my question would always be, so what's really going on with that person? That's not why they're coming in, necessarily. What's really going on? So that evil 
if you look at the kinds of fantasies and the kinds of daydreams that people have in the so-called normal society, I suspect that every one of you have experienced mad daydreams, mad fantasies, frustrations, lusts, all kinds of things that are kept normal. The lid goes over it, yes? And it doesn't get out of hand. But what would happen if we had a war tomorrow? What would happen if you lost all your finances? What would happen if your dear partner suddenly got very sick or died? Or the roof of your house got blown off? Or you came home and you found out that your, all your belongings were stolen? Or you get mugged? Or, God forbid, raped? Do, do, do you get the idea? What, what will happen to your mental state then? So sitting below the surface, no matter how calm you get, sitting below the surface, uh, from time to time, even though I'm looking at a sea of glorious, beautiful people who are in good states, from time to time, wouldn't you say that a little madness can come out? Look what you did to your, your, yourself. It's a, bit, it's a bit of madness, isn't it? And it's very courageous for you to even uh, trot that out in a public forum. But that's a little bit of madness. But wouldn't you say that most people from time to time have a little bit of madness? And that under the right conditions of society, that that madness could be drawn out as nice Canadians? Hmm? Of course. So we talk about blessings. We need to purify that madness out of ourselves. And realize that we're also, it's not something that we have produced. It's something that we unfortunately continue and we can do something about. The, the great blessing is that we have awareness. That's a great blessing. It's a shocking great blessing if people would use it. We actually have the awareness to change the fabric of our minds. And that's a very powerful thing. It's a very powerful uh, development when it gets around other people, not mad people. You know, I, I made a vow... Uh, with my uh, root teacher, my dear beloved uh, Lama Namjo Rinpoche, years ago, before he died, he, uh, he called me over one day and he says, you know, I want to I make a, a vow, a promise. No more do we take on psych psychotic students. It just drains the lifeblood. Neurotic, yes. <laughs> because, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> it's normal, right? Normally neurotic, or highly neurotic, but normally neurotic. Mad, truly mad, there's not a lot you can do. Maybe as a fully awakened being of tremendous capacity to turn that around, but even then, uh, that may be because of the brain changes and the physiology 
that may be something that one just has to care for, take care of, sometimes isolate, help medically, and uh, let, let that being heal in the way that they have to heal. I, you know, I think the gentleman in the, in the back row there, um, the people that do that kind of thing, which happens a lot in our society, I wouldn't use the word uh, evil. Uh, you could if you were a Christian, yes. But I would use the word insane. Just insane. Uh, if you've worked in organizations, you'll meet people, a certain percentage. I usually used to say 5%, 3 to 5% of every organization of any size uh, has individuals that are actually nuts in one form or another. And in our population, it's very high. So I'm not surprised in one little bit by that movie being promoted, and I'm just waiting for next week to find out what the next thing is. Why? Because there's a lot of very disturbed, ill, insane beings out there. And some of them have a lot of money, and the, the sociopaths have a lot of power, and can command a lot of power. And some of them are in power. And they will go to tremendous lengths to make a very big mess of things. Yeah? So you could spend all day long, we could spend all day long talking about what's happening out there. The question is, as, as one great teacher said to a, a, a friend of mine, a fellow student, and now she's a wonderful teacher, said, you know, you're spending all your time protesting against war. You're spending all your time worrying about war and the madness of other people. When are you going to stop the war in you for the benefit of those that you can communicate with? Does, does that make sense? So to answer your question, to, to some degree, not answer, but help you with that, is who are you going to help and who do you have the capacity to engage with? That, to me, is a very important question. I have to consider that in my own life, too. Who do I have the capacity, the strength, the connection, the, the, word, the skill to help? And there's certain beings where I go, sorry, why don't you go see Lama so-and-so? <laughs> Not in any negative way. I think they could maybe help you better. Or why don't you see a therapist? Or why don't you see a professional counselor? Or why don't you do this? Or why don't you actually go scuba diving for a month or two? Or, you know, uh, might help you a lot better than going into a meditation retreat. So there's a lot of very, very difficult people about. The question is, do you have the capacity to help them and to what kind of degree do you want to help them and can they be actually effectively helped does that, does that make sense so I for instance if a person is uh, very very ill mentally I would much rather than go to a specialist it's not my my area and um, specialty to help them there's places for that specialists for that Does that make sense? Yeah. In fact, some people, uh, it's not the best use of your energies or time. No? Yes? Sometimes we, 
sometimes we have to work with these people. Sometimes we can actually uh, see who we are and what is our best skill set and is it meeting the needs of those people. So I'm, I'm not saying that you have any difficulties with the people that you're encountering, but I, know, I meet people who are burnt out and frustrated because they, in fact, uh, are trying to change that and don't have the means and the tools to effectively liberate that which needs to be liberated. Does that make sense? Are you getting what I'm saying there with, with sort of reading my lips? is I meet a lot of frustrated professionals who are trying to help individuals. And what I have to say, especially psychotherapists who study with me and, and massage therapists and acupuncturists and so on, and doctors, and say, you have to realize that you're not actually going to be liberating these people. That's a different thing altogether. Freeing them up of their of afflictive emotions. You're going to be helping them lead a better life than they are. And if you understand that, then great. Does that, that make sense? Then don't get so frustrated. Let, let me just continue on with this. In the same sense that uh, Freud was very, very clear on the, what he called the program. I'm not sure exactly that's the German, the English translation of the German, but he, he, the program of, psycho, of psychoanalysis was not to liberate a being from their afflictions, was to allow them to function better and be a little more happy. Does, does that make sense? It wasn't to actually clear it up. It was actually to, can this person function better? Can they be more wholesome? Can they actually be happier? Yeah. If we're talking about liberation from afflictive suffering, the realization of what actually is mental suffering, that's a very different uh, order. And you can get very frustrated by the people coming back at you again and again and again and not really changing, not fundamentally changing. Because that's not actually what they're coming to see you for. Do you mean fundamentally? Fundamentally. Oh, I'll carry on for a second with this, yes. So how is it, and this is the question for the gentleman back there, how is it that you would come to a place where you don't react? And why is it that everybody doesn't want to react? Let me turn the tables for a minute. Why is it that you don't want to react? Maybe you should react. The question is, what are you reacting with? Imagine if you reacted with love. Imagine if you reacted with compassion. Imagine if you actually said to somebody who needs it one day, but you professionally you may not be allowed to do this. No, I, I'll give you a, tell you a funny story. There's a, a young man that studied me f with me for a while, still does, and uh, going through some difficulties in life concerning various things. I won't say what it is. And uh, I just had this intuition. He, I said to him, you know, you should get a hold of uh, uh, a dear friend of mine 
and uh, someone who studied with me, who's a psychotherapist, wonderful fellow, and asked him the same question. So he said to me, what's his email? Can I email him? Sure, here's his email. <laughs> That's great. And the psychotherapist sent back an email, which I, I, I got to see. Cut the crap out, grow up. <laughs> Stop moaning. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I couldn't have said better. You know, it's marvelous. <laughs> this is a great, great response. So, why not react? Who says you don't have to react? Now, you're, what you're concerned about is you're reacting with some kind of afflictive emotion, like rage. Wait a minute! Or, oh, that's hurting me. Or, getting frustrated. So you, you don't like that. Well, maybe you, are, maybe you should be frustrated at that which is stuck. Why not get frustrated? The question is, what are you going to do with it? Obviously, that situation is stuck, right? It's stuck. Well, that frustration may actually be a useful... I'm going to be a bit non-Buddhist for a moment, okay? But maybe that frustration is useful to say, wait a minute, not only is that being stuck, but I'm stuck. I'm stuck in a situation where... I don't know what to do with that being to free that being up. Or it's not actually working as it's supposed to work. But where is the frustration coming from? And you're going to try to work it out exactly. You're going to try to work it out by antidotes when in fact you actually, there's no other way that's ever been discovered. You're going to have to clear up your frustration. You have to clear up. There's no other way. For thousands of years, it's been taught the same way. And I think a lot of popular books tell you the same thing, yes? You're not going to find that solution but in yourself. And therefore, you can have a mad person in front of you and have utter equanimity, but you might have to actually hit them over the head with a stick. Or you might actually have to take them out the door and send them to somebody who can actually help them. Did you see what I'm talking about? So, what's the root of all this frustration? You're, now, you're asking, now you're asking a different question. That's the question of what is the nature of freedom? The nature of freedom is you don't actually have to react because there's nothing that you're reacting to. You actually believe there's a being out there, there's a being out there, there's a being here, and there's something to actually react to. There isn't. There's an imaginary being constructed by your mind out there, they have an imaginary construction of you, and there's two imaginary beings having a dialogue about an imaginary situation. That's very frustrating. And if you don't see it, it's very frustrating. We apparently have people in this room looking at an apparent person talking, with everybody hearing a different dialogue, and not even seeing the same thing. So, as the Dalai Lama said recently, I was at a teaching of the Dalai Lamas in um, Dharamsala um, in uh, December. Uh, for three days, he was very adamant on this point, which is not brought out enough. He said, if you don't actually understand the nature of emptiness, you're not a Buddhist. And his point was this. He was giving teachings the, on the um, Chakrasamvara, and he mentioned the following. See if I turned it off. 
something. He mentioned the following. He said, you know, it doesn't really matter how many rosaries you do. How many mantras you say? You can be saying mantras, oh, money, pay me, hong, money, pay me, hong, money, pay me. You can do this for years. If you don't understand the nature of emptiness, you're not a Buddhist. That's the heart of the dilemma. You can be as sweet and nice as you like. You can be as calm and loving as you want. But if you don't understand the nature of emptiness, that is the, not, not negativity, the nature uh, that every single thing is not as it appears. It's vast, it's complex, it's interdependent, it's open, spacious, unobstructed, and mind-created. If you don't understand that from the depth of your heart, from a real uh, physical gut experience developed, not an intellectual basis, then you'll constantly be coming up against things that you will be enraged with or frustrated about or greedy about or delusionary about or prideful about. Why? Because you actually believe them to be real. The state of mind of those beings is actually a fragment, it's a figment, it's a creation of their minds and it's a creation of your mind, how it appears in your mind. And it's a creation and manifested also by the society that those minds are currently living in. That understanding takes the frustration out, takes the misunderstanding out, and produces an extraordinary amount of skill in understanding why these states of mind arise in the first place. So I, I, I trot... I, you know, I, it's a funny thing to do, but to, to, to quote the Dalai Lama, who's one of my teachers, uh, gives it some authority <laughs> if you need it. I could say it, but you'd be going, oh, well, you know, that's Lama Mark saying that. But uh, you know, the Dalai Lama was very, very strong on this point uh, over and over and over again. I think he had, a, if I may say so, an enlightened bee in his bonnet, okay? You know how enlightened beings don't have any bees in their bonnets. So he had an enlightened bee in his bonnet. His point is, is that the whole basis of freedom comes down to actually uh, experiencing, uh, uh, actually physically, biologically understanding the nature of shunyata, of emptiness. That's the entire base of the path. Why? Because uh, people actually believe. You know, this is a funny thing. Do you know that people actually believe their emotions are real? Did you know that? You, you, no. Yeah. I guess the, the, the straight guy. There. I had to get paid for that. <laughs> Even people that have studied for years. I met a, a, a doctor recently who was saying, you know, I still get caught up in, the person's a, a physiologist, so still get caught up in emotional stuff, and I know it's all, all nonsense, but I'm still washed away in it. I said, well, you just know it's a physical sensation. Yeah, but once you get caught in it, it feels very real, right? But if you pause and look right at it with utter concentration, mindfulness, and love, it's a physical sensation plus a lot of verbal diarrhea. Yes? And it vanishes. And then it comes back and one sees as being real again. 
Amazing, isn't it? So if I was a Buddhist out there and having these reoccurring frustrations, I would want to kind of go, well, what is it that isn't being actually purified and cleared in my being for the benefit of other beings? This is, the que- this is what you should be asking, as if you're a really good, good Dharma student and a good practitioner, is what is it that I'm missing? Where is it that I'm not seeing where the essence is? The essence is, is what is the nature of all experience? What are these states of mind? You, sir, I don't know your name. What's your name? Back there? Steve, that's right, Steve. Steve, you don't have a hand to have any pain, Steve. Or a foot. That's a, that's a map made up in the brain. At any given point, if you were to look at it, it would vanish. All your bodies right now are mental constructs. Do you, do you, do you believe, do you know that? Amazing, isn't it? All your sensations right now are made up where? Where do they actually happen? You know, I met a pain specialist recently talking to someone who was actually in extreme pain, dying actually, and said, what do you like to do? What do you like to do that makes you feel better, that you enjoy? And the person told them what they like to do, the craft. They said, you know, I would do a lot of that because sometimes that's a lot better than pain medication. And it's wonderful to hear. Young uh, pain specialist saying, you know where the pain is located? It's located in your brain. Not to put down the fact there's pain, right? Even if the pain's in your foot. Where, where does it get translated? Where does it get experienced? Where does all your experience happen? Where does it all get manufactured? Where does it all get manufactured? Where's the brain? All over. For purposes right now, we'll say it's here. But I don't isolate it from here. But you've noticed that, yes? You can be in a lot of pain and someone can actually hold your hand and it vanishes. Yes? You can be in a lot of pain and all of a sudden I go, you know, you'd be like really uncomfortable or distracted or you just want to reach in your pocket and pull out your cell phone. And I go, look at that. That's amazing. Look at that beautiful sunset. Like that. Where's the pain? Have you had that happen? Just like that. It's gone. And we know from people that are very good meditative, not even very good meditative practitioners, pretty okay practitioners, for hour after hour after hour, the pain, pain, uh, or difficulties can just vanish. And then come back later. So where was that pain? In the same place the frustration was. imaginary. Absolutely imaginary. 
not to, by the way, to discount extreme pain. Never, never discount it. There's a, there's a good reason why we have it. Yeah? It's giving us a, uh, an important message. We take care of it. It was like uh, somebody very close to me almost died recently by ignoring an abscess in their tooth, a young person. Ignored it. Ignored it. Tough. You know, tough. I got a pain. Ignored it. Ignored it. Just got to the hospital in time to the emergency room and they just saved his life. That's how, that's how close it came. So don't, I'm, not, I'm not encouraging you to ignore pain. You see, where's the mental fabrication? So this, this is a question, really, if you want to talk about blessings, what is the greatest blessing? The greatest blessing is liberation, is to actually know what causes mental affliction. Why do people do what they do to each other and to themselves over and over and over and over again? There's no reason to do it, is there? How many people in the room would like to actually lead a very good, I'm not talking about do-goody, but a wholesome, good life free of afflictive states where the states that you have on a continuous basis from morning till night are actually radiant, clear, loving, bright, open, spacious, glowing, compassionate. How many people? Yeah, there's some that haven't put their hand up. That's okay. It can be done. Why not? Of course it can be done. But to do that, you're actually going to have to know how all experience arises. It cannot be done by just being calm and being in a really nice state. It cannot be done. The tradition of, of all the meditation lineages, they'll tell you the same thing. It cannot be done that way. It's a good basis, but it cannot be done. You're going to actually have to have insight into how these states are actually produced and how they fall. You have to. You have to. And that's going to take you work. I, I know you didn't come to hear that. That's probably the last thing that you came here tonight to hear was actually to do the work of, of spiritual or awakening the human being to freedom requires that you work at it. It has to become your life's work. Then you'll say, oh, well, then I couldn't have a job. No, you can do that. Oh, then I can't have children. No, you can do that. You can do almost, almost anything you want to do. But that has to be the actual work or play, or interesting work that you do, of your life. It can't be a part-time hobby. That's the blessing. The blessing is, where do you get that from? If one is surrounded by messages of doom and gloom, and people talking incessantly of gossip, and working in places that are almost toxic, or maybe even coming home to a toxic situation, where is there going to be support for really wholesome states to be nurtured? Hmm? Not so easy. So the first thing the Buddha talked about when he talked about blessings, what's the number one blessing? 
Associate with the wise. Don't associate with the fools. Doesn't sound very egalitarian, does it? It's not very democratic, sorry. It's not very uh, politically uh, correct in this, in this day and age in Canada. But actually, it makes perfect sense. A lot of people are trying to wake up, become free, become wholesome, and they're actually associating themselves. They're in an environment that's actually, uh, from somebody looking from the outside, is slightly toxic. It's very difficult. I get the same thing when, when therapists talk to me. They get frustrated. You get them for, for one hour a week, sometimes, especially the ones that are, are quite ill. And then they go back out, right back in the same environment they just came in, and all that good work for that one hour gets eroded away over the course of a week or course of a few days. And they come back with the same issues over and over and over again. So the environment that you place yourself in is absolutely, unless you have tremendous strength and you're actually using it for liberation, that's different. But the, the environment that you place yourself in is so important for uh, developing wholesome states of mind. Very important. You had a question a little while ago, well, maybe, actually, maybe about 20 you, minutes you ago. You came back to my question. Okay, okay. <laughs> you arrived right, right there. Right there? Okay. It, it, it just struck me when you were speaking earlier that uh, you were referring to the capacity of individuals. Yes. And the capacity of individuals in my extended experience for several mm -hmm. decades mm -hmm. by now is that we live within the institutional structures of sociopaths. That's right. And they're far more powerful than the capacity You've noticed of that. many That's right. separate individuals. And they rise very quickly, don't they? And they are very powerful. Very powerful, rise so very quickly. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've 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 had to deal with those. And, uh, just just let me let me address that. So I've met people who say, well, they're going to change the institution. But the institution actually comes from greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy within every being in that institution and can flare at any given time. Give a person an opportunity to have power, watch what happens. Not all. Give a person an opportunity to become jealous and they can be very jealous. Give an opportunity to, for a person to be put down or, or never even promoted and in a place of responsibility but no promotion, no authority. That's one of the worst today. Anybody work with in institutions? That's one, of the, that's one of the best we have today to, to really, really harm people is give people uh, responsibility but no authority. We do that all over the place now. Right? It's one of the most, most difficult things you could be placed into is the responsibility but no authority to enact it. Endless committees, endless discussions, and everybody has to have their way. Sorry? There's reasons for that. that. That can be actually a good thing. So it's very difficult, isn't it? So what, where would you want to expend your energies? Changing an organization that can come and go? Yes, it can be good. I've tried to do that and have had my hand in reshaping organizations. But what are you going to do about yourself? Because you can spend all your time trying to rework an organization. When in fact it's still riddled with greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy.
One can stop. One can stop. So let's come back to this, this, this thing about talent and, uh, and capacity. How many of you know where your real talents lie? How many of you really know where, what your capacity is for certain things? What are you very good at and what can you contribute compassionately? And feel good about what you do? It's very important. Because I don't think there's anybody in the room, I, I don't actually have a doubt about this, there's not one single person in the room who doesn't have marvelous, beautiful, glorious talents. And they can be used to help people. But you may find yourself in places where it's very difficult because it's actually not particularly uh, your talent. Or you're not given the opportunity for your talent to blossom. Hmm? Can be. Yes. Uh, I have a son who is very, very serious in nature. He's uh, actually an oxycodone. Yep. Yep. He could really benefit by this, but because of his impairments, I, I think there might be a huge impediment to him benefiting from this kind of approach. It's not very difficult. Mm. Uh, this, this, is, this, is, you know, this is tragic. It's really a question of um, uh, can he have the, the faith and the trust uh, to be able to listen and to be able to encounter people that can help him? There's lots of people, for instance, lots of people that one encounters, they're in pain or they have di- physical difficulties, but actually can't listen or don't have the capacity uh, have lost the capacity to actually listen to what they must, what they must do. In other words, if the blessings come along, they can't actually even take the blessings. It would be more difficult for him, yeah. particularly just to come maybe when he's on the loss of toil, that it would give you in a better position to it. He has huge impediments because of his brain injury and because of his In that case... Uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a parent uh, or as a friend, as a dear friend or a parent, you do whatever you can for the person out of love and compassion to keep steering them in, the, in, a, in a way, in a place that they can have the opportunity to grow. And if they don't take it, they don't take it. This is, this is the thing about the nature of emptiness and the nature of suffering. You have to realize these maps of how we are get built up over time and uh, it, it can be very, very difficult to get at uh, these maps, if you wish, to change them. So one of the best things you can do, of course, and you know this, is to surround them in love and keep uh, uh, directing them in good places. And hopefully that being, that, that, that organism, will catch on and uh, run with it. So that's, that's called, that's called uh, loving beings. You keep placing them in a good opportunity 
for good things to happen, they, they actually have to take it. They have to listen. Isn't that right? They have to do it. Then uh, you help as much as you can to do that, but that person also has uh, to grow and uh, develop the ability to, to move through that. This is, this is the way it is. You know? Have you found, for instance, all of us, somebody says something you, to you uh, one day, it's very direct or it's very meaningful or you can't even really hear it, but it takes five years for you finally to make the changes? Have, have all of us who, who don't have so-called brain damage, have we all had the situation where someone has given it, delivered a message to us and it takes us three, four, five, six, ten years to actually make the changes in our life and go, wow, if I'd only listen. Or you come back to the same person and go, you know what I did? And they're going, hmm. And I did it all by myself. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Have we all had that? That's not something. Here's another politically incorrect statement for you. See how it washes over you. Imagine that all of us, when we were young, younger, <laughs> very young, had a stroke. And we didn't know that we had a stroke, a debilitating stroke. And we're living today with a stroke that's a socially acceptable stroke. And we have no idea because it's socially fine to be living in a state where our happiness is produced from the outside. We have incessant distraction. We have incessant longing. We actually think that antidotes and other kinds of things will actually clear it all up. We're fed all these kinds of messages, and it doesn't work. But imagine if we actually had a stroke, and we knew we had a stroke, what would we do about it? We'd, get, we'd want to, if we couldn't, if we couldn't speak. We'd, how many people in the room, if you had a stroke and you could no longer speak, would you like to speak again? Yeah? How about paralysis down your left side? Would you like to? Well, imagine if you didn't know that the paralysis of mental afflictions, don't know where it comes from, don't know how you get to one place to another, don't know why the stuff keeps uh, coming back and reappearing. I won't, you don't have to put your hand up. Please don't. Anybody in the room have repetitive cycles of mental affliction? Yeah? Over the same patterns over and over and over again. Put your foot in your mouth the same way. Do the same things. Do yourself in the same way. Wear out the energies. Yes? Why? That's like having a stroke. Think about the possibility of not actually having that. And yet people around you are going, but that's normal. It's okay to be like that. It's just fine if you're sleepy all day. It's just fine if you're wiped out and tired or delusional or you're aggressive or a sociopath in an organization. It's just cool to be like that. Overly powerful. 
love to be controlling people. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's the way it is. Until you actually realize that you've had a stroke, not going to really do anything about it. Not going to do a thing about it. Yes? It was socially unacceptable, and you still, you still get confused. Yeah. Tell me more, Holly. Lean back further on the couch and tell me, tell me when it started. nothing to do with that. It doesn't matter whether it's socially acceptable or not socially acceptable. It doesn't matter whether it's socially acceptable, not socially acceptable. It has nothing to do with that. You know, the, the teaching of Dharma for 2,500 years has been absolutely clear on this point. Because some people, they, some people use the word Dharma and they don't have a clue, technically, what it means or what liberation actually is. And it's been taught for 2,500 years. And some of the greatest masters keep repeating it and say, you know, it comes down to this. Liberation is freedom from greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy. And if that's not actually freed, it's not freedom and it's not dharma. It might be something else. It might be gardening. It might be astronomy. It might be cycling. It might be water polo. But it's not actually dharma. Why? Because the measure of freedom is freedom from those states, those afflictive states. If those afflictive states are still there, unless you get pissed off about, you know, in a good way, that's enough. You know, that's good. That can be very compassionate, fierce. But if there's frustration behind it and unlove, it's not liberation. So it doesn't matter what you're like, Holly. Who cares? You could have um, a purple hair twisted up like this, ten feet high, and be walking around on stilts. Who cares? The point is. Are you in a continuum of clarity, lucidity, openness, friendliness, compassion, awakeness? That's been the measure for 2,500 years. All the rest of the stuff is fluff. It doesn't matter whether you're wearing a robe. It doesn't matter whether you're wearing a rainbow jacket. It doesn't matter whether you've got short or long hair. It doesn't matter whether you giggle or laugh. The question is really, is there a continuum of awakeness and an understanding of what afflictive, how afflictive emotions arise? Otherwise, not free. Because what's the person going to be doing? They're going to be grasping outside of themselves or to a concept about what it is, when in fact they haven't resolved the number one question is, what is this experience? What is this mind that's having experience? That's not asked, is it? It isn't asked. So for instance, why am I having frustration when I hit my foot? 
You can ask that, but you're never going to find out the answer. You'll never find out the answer. You can, you can go back lifetimes. We can go back four or five hundred million years to find out why organisms get frustrated, but that still doesn't tell us why. The only way you're going to find out why is when you get down to the multiple millisecond level and you actually see the birth of all mental states and the cessation of all mental states. You actually understand how uh, experience arises and experience passes away. Just wait till you one day you're quiet enough and you see your foot appear before your eyes when it wasn't there before. Or you can see it actually, you can see a state build and fall apart because the concentration is deep enough. Then you'll see it fall away. It's made up in the mind. Why the frustration? Simply that's the conditioning of your being. That can be unconditioned. Simply unconditioned. A good example, of course, is uh, uh, St. Clair. Yes? You know St. Francis St. Clair? Bedridden? A very holy saint. People just wanted to come to see her, to be around her. And she was in pain and she was sick. But in a state of beatific uh, absorption. So the deciding line is if you've realized you've had a stroke, no matter what kind of behavior you have in society, is that you've actually had a mental stroke and want to come out of it. Uh, that's where the compassion comes in. There's not one person in this room that needs to go through the cyclic emotional ups and downs that you go through. It, it actually don't have to. But in this day and today, in this society, it's okay. You're told it's okay. You're told it's normal. In fact, it doesn't have to be. I guarantee that. I can actually guarantee it. You do not have to be like that. But it's reinforced day in, day out, day in, day out, isn't it? Magazines, newspapers, radio, and some other professions, which I won't go there at the moment because it's being... Recorded. <laughs> I think this lady lady had a question. Yes. I think you had a question there. Or a statement. No I in the Port of Clares. Yes. And that's why. Do you hear that? There's no I in the Port of Clares. Right. Saint Clair. The poor, the poor Clares. She found, she founded the order of the Clare, which was, was a uh, suborder. But uh, that's exactly what it is: is when they're self-referencing, which is an imaginary experience. There's going to be afflictive states. The experience of of us right now is, and we know this also from neurophysiology. It's not just Buddhist is a construct of the mind like being in a theater, akin to being in a theater. It's very believable, and it's reinforced a 100,000 times a day by parents, friends, teachers, internal dialogue. 
and it's actually a figment. When it collapses, actually collapses and is witnessed to collapse. Completely collapses. Breaks apart before your eyes. Well, you won't even see it. But just breaks apart completely. Falls down and doesn't get up for a few moments. That's called liberation. That's called the first taste of liberation. The incessant self-referencing causes incessant pain. And a lot of that pain is never experienced. So it's it's a good point. It's a profound, profound meditation. Uh, In Vajrayana, we'd say, in fact, there is no I, but there's no not I either. Because to deny the I uh, is then to take up an absolutist position. But it's a good place to start. Yes. I, don't, I just want to ask, is this something that's interesting? Anybody here? Yeah? Yeah. The, the question to ask, if you're asking about blessings, the question to ask is, is really, uh, where, why do these afflictive states arise again and again and again when many, many of us don't like them? Could it be, could it be that we've been told year after year, day after day, that they're actually, that's the way it is? You know, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, they're called saints, many of them never known, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people, Southeast Asia, Northern Asia, Europe, North America, that have experienced to some degree either greater or lesser freedom from afflictive emotions. That doesn't mean freedom from emotion. Not freedom from love. Not freedom from compassion. Not freedom from equanimity. Not freedom from from joy. Not freedom from experiencing the joy of other beings. Those are emotions. The emotion of blissful awareness, unobstructed blissful awareness, that's a good emotion. But why all this afflictive emotion because we're simply told that's the way it is to be normal. It's a fabrication. There's many societies that will tell you that that actually isn't what life is about. It's not life. It's anti-life. In the language of Freud, it would be morbido. I like that. It's a very lovely, old-fashioned word. Morbido. All those afflictive emotions, conflicting emotions, delusions, are doing what? They're sucking the lifeblood, the life energy out of people. Extraordinary. It's not necessary. Because you're not going to be able to figure it out. But you can get a very good intellectual grasp of it, but you won't be able to figure it out. It is uh, a switch of the physiology, if you want, a switch in the modeling of the brain that allows no more modeling. Do you see how it is? Conscious always wants to have a story. You're that way, you're that way, I'm here because of this. 
incessant, you know the incessant dialogues? Those are all models. They're just maps, like being in a car. It's like reaching in a car all the time. Oh, how do I get to uh, Vancouver? Oh, how do I get to San Diego? How do I get to Minnesota? Constantly pulling up maps, which are self-identities. Do they love me? Isn't that one of the major ones? Do they love me? Do I love them? Does the universe love me? Is the universe against me? Whatever, they, whatever it is, the di incessant dialogues. But imagine an experience which is fundamental. In other words, an experience so direct, so physiologically changing, that you experience the falling away of all the maps. You're not going to have that intellectually. You have to have that as a direct experience that's profound enough to give you confidence that that is what freedom actually is. A taste. And then what do you have to do? You have to build on that. You have to actually uh, uh, open that up. Hmm? Otherwise, it's good. But as my teacher would say, it's not sufficient. Get to work. No, you see, there's another one. You're worried. You're already worrying how you're going to be. No, 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 no. You don't. You don't have to worry. You see, I get this all. I get this a fair bit of time. What happens if I become enlightened? Will I lose all my friends? If I become enlightened, will I be able to raise a family? If I become enlightened, will I be able to hold a job? If I become enlightened, do I have to become a monk or a nun? Throw it all out. Forget it. As I said to somebody, somebody it was wonderful, someone was talking to me the other day, who's very, very bright and, and, and uh, has really done a lot of meditative work. Wonderful. And they were a bit concerned about something. And I said, what do you think it is? And they paused it. You know, I'm just scared of freedom. I'm scared of becoming awake. I said, good for you. Because that's basically all I need to do. They were, worried, they were worried about actually their clients cottoning on to the fact that it's all mind. <laughs> I said, hallelujah. Congratulations. So raise it up. Find a way to tell them it's all mine. <laughs> she says, yeah, I'm just scared. I said, that's right. Nothing's going to happen except more love, more compassion. So what? So you'll find another job. And if your friends don't like you anymore, maybe they were never your friends. So Holly, you got nothing to worry about with your friends. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so there's a question over here. Okay, go ahead. It's frustrating, isn't it, Holly? Now, so, so isn't it frustrating? So it's really worth uh, developing a non-conceptual experience of emptiness and being free of all that. Yes, go ahead. My original question was what's left after all the maps are kind of discarded or just disappeared. And then the fear thing came in. It's just the realization that without any preconceived idea what time I'm going home tonight, I'm kind of lost, really. But yeah, there's no, there's, no, there's no lostness because the beauty is. Uh, if you experience the cessation of maps, the cessation of 
of eye fixation. And you actually see how things are built. Then you can have built things. You can build. You can have emotion. But there's not the same clinging to the emotion. It's a figment. I'll give you an example. Here's one that's been used, uh, an example from ancient India for about 2,000 years. Have you ever been to a magic show? How many people have actually watched a really good magician? Yeah? Have you actually been sucked in ever to actually believing like this has actually happened? Does the magician see life differently? Are you getting what I mean? So the magician that's actually making the magic, they know how it's being made, yes? But it's still a magic show, correct? We call this the two-in-one. So the freedom is, you know it's a magic show, which changes the emotional affect. So you can live in the emotional show, in the magic show, as a magician, but you're not caught into believing it's for real. That changes the entire fabric of your emotionality. And the compassion that comes out is tremendous. Why? Because you actually see beings that believe that this show is for real. Did you follow? That brings out tremendous compassion and love. To, to actually witness beings that are spouting ideas and spouting afflictive emotion when it's in fact a complete magical apparition of their mind. And you all know this. Every single person in this room knows this to be a fact. You've all witnessed it, haven't you? When you've been in some emotional turmoil and something comes along and just goes like this, collapses it? Have you had that? Something. You should try that with somebody. Somebody who's really going, you know, I'm really frustrated or I'm, I'm in a state of... I've, I've done this with, with students. You know, just, they come over and I'm really having a, a difficult, anxious day. I'm like, wow, it's really happening. You just go, hold, put your hand on their head. Wow. Where'd it go? I don't know, but... You just, just stop them. They go, like Holly there. Shut Where was it, Holly? Where, where, where did it all go? It just evaporates. On to the next thing. Oh, by the way, Holly, I got a cool thing on my cell phone. Here, just a sec. Here's a picture. Whoa, that's cool. It's gone. Just like a, ma ma a magician conjuring, you know, oh, look at this. Here's, look at all this. It's a fantastic picture of a milk bottle. Really? Where did all that frustration? It just vanishes. So imagine. If you had enough experience as a magician watching the magical apparition happening, what happens? The experience isn't the same. So there's no difficulty. There's absolutely no difficulty. As a matter of fact, the ability to be more effective with people because you actually know what the cause of suffering is, it's called clinging. Mentally clinging to apparitions that don't actually exist. Like, I have to have that house. No, you don't. There's, or, or how about this one? I must have that person. They must be my lover. That's the only person I could be in love with. Wait a minute, there's 7 billion people on this planet. <laughs> Do you know I've had to tell people that? They just go, oh my God. 
You know, say, I just, I love, and if they ever left me, if they ever, you know, I mean, there's seven billion people on this planet. Do you think there isn't somebody else that you, that might love you? Or that you might follow? Oh, really? Yeah. Never thought about that. Isn't that amazing? I must have this car. Life must be this way. The organization must be this way. This person must be this way. I must be this way. I must eat this food. I must do this. I must, I must, I should, I shouldn't. I won't, I shall. Isn't it driving people crazy? Yeah? So what happens when you get into retreat, one of the, one of the best symptoms of being in a good meditation, when you're in a good uh, state in a meditation retreat is you vomit your guts up. Why? It's all in your guts. It's like being held like this. All that frustration back there. Yeah? It's right in your viscera. It's right going right from your mouth right down through your guts. It's being held day in, day out like this in your belly, in your heart, right inside like that. And as soon as you start to let go and go, wow, I don't have to deal with all this stuff. You throw it up. It's nauseating. Why? Because it's nauseating. It's like, it's like carrying nausea around all day and you won't vomit. A number of times I have to tell students to just go vomit. Really? Yeah, just go vomit. You'll feel better. Just go, just go vomit. Do you have to vomit? Vomit. If you have to go to the toilet, go to the toilet. It's okay. Go to the toilet. You mean yogis do that? Yeah, they go to the toilet. <laughs> But I, but I might pee in my pants while I'm meditating. So what? Good. Good sign. Go pee. Go pee in your pants. Let it go. The whole organism has to let go. It's holding all this stuff. You're absolutely correct. There's no such thing as a brain. A brain doesn't stop here. The brain goes right through to every system we have in the organism. It goes into your lymphatic system. It goes into your respiratory system. Into your, in your cardiovascular system. Your endocrine system. Everywhere. Yeah? And all that's being held like maps in space, and they're tight. So when you start to let go, what happens? Your body undergoes changes. And you go, ooh, ooh, that's a creepy feeling. Of course it's a creepy feeling. You've never had that feeling before. Ooh, I don't like that feeling. That's right, because you've been carrying that feeling for 20 or 30 years, and now you're feeling it. Ugh. Or, oh my god, oh, please. Let me stay in this bliss all day. Oh, oh. I just wait. Next day, oh, I feel like hell. <laughs> oh, oh, what happened? Well, you were clinging to bliss and now you're, it's over. Oh, you mean it doesn't last? No, it, it doesn't last. It's like, it's called life. It's nauseating. Any of you get into, uh, most of you get into a retreat or very, very deeply calm, you're going to see your body's going to have to start releasing the incredible tension it's holding. It's going to have to. It's going to have to. The eyes will start tearing for days. You'll start getting shakes and twitches, all this stuff. You know? Some make religions out of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Make all kinds of stuff out of it. But in fact, it's just, it's just normal. The whole organism, the whole organism must release, must, must shake loose. Hmm? So there's no, there's no problem at all. If it's genuine liberation, there's no problem. If it's, if it's actually 
what we call uh, meditation think, which technically is called chinsinyana. I l- I've always liked that word. In the insight tradition of Southeast Asia, it's actually in the, um, almost from the Buddha's time, but in the insight tradition, they have a technical term for complex mental thinking during insight that makes it feel really cool and real. And in fact, it's just a mentally constructed, it's called chinsinyana, which means chintzy knowledge. You know, like chintz? It doesn't mean chintz. It means fabricated, but chintzy knowledge. It's kind of like chintz. You know, you look into a room full of chintz and you go, hmm. It always vanishes. It always falls apart. So uh, watch for chintzy uh, knowledge, chintzy insight that actually doesn't have any substance, but it was, it was really well thought out, you know? It was really well produced mentally. And it feels right at the time. Uh, can come with some pretty cool physical experiences, but actually doesn't have any lasting power. So it's like a satori? Uh, true satori has lasting power. It never leaves you. Now, uh, in the initial stages of satori, uh, because it's a glimpse, in, a glimpse into emptiness, uh, it gets buried from time to time. So you can have all this afflictive emotion come up, but it keeps bouncing back. So one of the signs of genuine satori is that even though the person still has some greed, still has some ha- hatred, still has this and this and this and this, the state of freedom keeps bouncing back naturally every once in a while. just comes back. just comes back. Called fruition moments. Like that. And they get to re- remember, get to recall, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But as as the experiences of liberation deepen, 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 more satori moments, uh, then the confidence in that state as being a genuine, normal state gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And all that you really want is such confidence that the state, the initial state of satori becomes the normal operating consciousness. It's not unusual anymore. It simply is the normal way in which that being experiences the world. It's not far out. It's just the way it is. So that's, there's just a continuous degree of realization of that. So the word satori is, is the initial um, glimpse of freedom. Yeah. But there can be a lot of afflictive emotion after that, uh, which, is, which can also be a good thing, because uh, it means also materials just coming up close to the surface. Not to say a bad thing at all. Is that enough for this evening? I think, I think one of the greatest blessings is you just realize uh, it's, a, it's a put on. <laughs> and nobody's evil, by the way, behind this. No, no government institution, like in the Matrix, has, has conned you. Okay? This con job has been going on a long time by human beings. Read the old text back in ancient India, in Europe, and so on. The same stuff you've got going, just a little bit different culturally, has been going on for a long time. Okay? And there's been, there's been teachers and saints, uh, Christian, uh, Sufi, uh, Islamic, uh, Aboriginal, they've been saying the same thing for thousands of years. Wake up. Come out of it. You can all come out of it. Just wake up. You have, just have to want to. That's the dividing line. You have to just go, I want out. Not out of this, just I want out of the um, roller coaster. And for some, by the way, it's not a roller coaster. It's just gray. It's like a film. 
just a pervasive film. So if you say to them, you know you're, um, you're having a little bit of anger, they go, no, I'm not. Never have. <laughs> or uh, this is going on. No, I'm not. It's all fine. You know, kind of look. It's fine. It's just a, just a pervasive gray over everything, just a pervasive film. So all this love, I mean, I can look around the room. I'm not pretending. I can look around the room and look at all of you. Uh, incredible talent, incredible brightness. Uh, underneath all that, uh, no matter what you're experiencing, even Holly there, no matter what you're experiencing, <laughs> it is a very, very awake organism just waiting to come out. All you have to do is say, it's going to come out, and you work at it. That's the dividing line. You have to go, this is the most meaningful thing there is as a human being, is to become awake and compassionate and let it come out. You do whatever you need to do to let it come out. You wake up, which literally means wake up. If you're sitting like this and you're in a dull stupor, wake it up. And you keep waking it up. Vividly, pellucid. Do you know that word? It's a beautiful word, eh? Pellucid. Glorious word. Pellucid. It's hardly used anymore. Pellucid. Vividly awake. Lovingly, vividly awake. And not fooled by any apparition of the mind. Now there's the point, Holly. Not fooled by any apparition of the mind, including inner and outer experiences. That's when you understand emptiness. So all that's happening when you're having afflictive emotion of any kind is you're temporarily fooled like a magician trick into believing that the apparition on the outer, whether it's a person or a tree uh, or anything else, a lollipop, a television program, a newspaper article, is actually something other than an apparition of your mind. It's not. It's nothing. It's just apparition of mind. It comes and it goes. So what's behind it all? If it comes and it goes, what's not coming and what's not going? There's the question for you. If it's coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, what's not coming and going? There's a, there's a, there's a colon for you. What's not coming and going? What never comes and never goes is the pristinely awake mind that every single one of us has. You couldn't be in this room without it. You can't get across, you can't get across the street without it. You can't drive your car without it. You can't use your cell phone without it. You can't speak without it. It's called fully attentive, vivid mind. That's happening all the time. You just have to let it come out. Let it come out and play. Train it. I like, I like to have awakeness and not the other. Yeah. And nothing bad will happen to you. <laughs> Guaranteed. The worst that could happen to you is you'll get fired from your job. That's the worst that could happen, and you actually find yourself in a better place. Now, that's the worst that could happen. Yes? Is, is, is it really fear that really holds us back? Yes. Anybody? 
Yes. Yeah, it's just fear. Just fear of absolutely an imaginary thing that doesn't exist. There's nothing there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. An imaginary fear gripping an imaginary being. Isn't that amazing? That's all it is. The eye is a figment, and there's a figment called fear gripping the eye, and they're both figments. I, you, can, you should laugh. It's good. Laugh about it. You can cry about it, but also laugh about it. Just catch it once. Like, like for instance, to go look at it right now. Is there any fear? No. So that actually doesn't exist. But at the moment it's physical, it feels like it, yes? Because people believe that their physical experience is something other than mind. It's not. It's actually mind-created. Put the test, you'll see. The moment that you change the mind, the sensation changes. If you want to be neurophysiological, the moment that the change in uh, neurochemistry changes is a, is a change in thought, is a change in both mind and physicality. All you have to do is turn on a little bit of oxytocin. You're sitting, instead of going like this, worried, you know, like this, to within, what, maybe half a second, two seconds, a good flood of oxytocin to, wow. Nothing could be more perfect in the universe the way it is. Soon they'll have a little oxytocin. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It's changing the brain chemistry. So there's no, there's no fear. There's simply certain neurochemicals that get secreted, and they feel very believable. But change them, and they secrete differently. Secrete differently. It's, it's actually, you have to work. I mean, you have to actually physically work at this. There's no, no other way around it. Okay, I think that's plenty for tonight. Unless you're, you know, uh, don't want to leave or something. I don't know. Holly doesn't. Yes. Have a good sleep. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Excellent. I think it's next, isn't it next week on Thursday or something next week? Something like that, yeah? Something like that. Did you already tell people? No, oh, okay. Uh, nine nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Meet, meet you here. Is that right? Here? Or is it somewhere else? Here? Nine o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Nine o'clock here tomorrow. And what I recommend anybody who's, who's attending this retreat is tonight, uh, go have a good sleep. <laughs> Just go relax. Have a good sleep. Breathe. But don't, don't uh, wind yourself up in knots. Just relax and be easeful. And tomorrow uh, we'll, we'll carry on on uh, blessings. Okay? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I would like you to go home and be extremely stressed. <laughs> I, 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 recommend, I recommend four or five hours of television, uh, a brandy or two. No, I, all, I, wish, I wish all of you, whether you're a retreat or not, that you make all life a retreat. All life, not a retreat from anything, an advance. All life a retreat. You never, ever have a moment where you're not um, liberating, awakening, waking up, waking up, waking up. And uh, 
uh, enjoy. Do, do what's good for you. See, that? there's a difficulty. Should I spend a couple more minutes? One more, two more minutes? Let me ask you a question, a heartfelt question. Do you know honestly what's good for you? Have you so- are you sorting this out? Do you know what's good for you in terms of sleep and uh, support with food and support with environment and people and everything else? What is really nutritive for you? What's sustaining you? What's really, what are you doing that's really lovingly uh, awakening for you? And if you don't know that, you have questions about that, and it's bugging you, but here's the other thing, or you're deluded to believing you do know, then, then you need to find a good mentor. You need to find a good spiritual friend that can help you um, at least turn your mind to that which is inhibiting it or blocking it from actually becoming clearer, more vivid, more bright, more ethical, more alive, more loving, right? You might need help. We all do. And even when you've got it, you still need help. Why? Because then you need more and more capacity to help others. So I, I, whether you're in retreat or not, I hope the same thing. <laughs> Just go forth and awaken. And we'll, we'll see some of you tomorrow morning. Hmm? That should be a T-shirt. A T-shirt, yeah. You know, I have a, I have a. Someone wrote probably, uh, maybe either Jamie or Nicole, uh, on on my refrigerator home. It says, um, "Awareness is free." I like that. It's just a little. Someone wrote it in, in pen and ink and put it on the on the refrigerator. It came back one day and says, "Awareness is free," and it's 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 a very very high statement. That's why I haven't taken it off the refrigerator. Uh, that's about all you need. It's always there. It's a free commodity. There's no such thing as you have to buy it. You might have to uh, spend some money to find someone who can remind you of it over and over and over again and direct your mind to it. But you've already got it. Just go reveal it. It's there. Tell me how. Awareness is free. Yes. Am I miss? I'm missing something there. I think so. Somebody else. You're not going to find awareness anywhere else but where? Awareness. And and that means you're going to have to deeply, deeply study by direct awareness what awareness is, not from a textbook. They can help sometimes. Even a Dharma talk can help. But where are you going to have to find the resolution? In awareness itself. Does anybody ever have a moment where you're not aware? How about your organism? Is there any is there any single moment where your organism is not aware? Let me see a show of hands. 
because this, de this is democratic, right? How many of you would say that, you're, that, that awareness is something that comes and goes, not for you, but just your organism? Comes and goes. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not there. Let's see a show of hands. Oh, one, two, three, oh, four, five, six. Okay. So what happens when you're not aware? Do you fall down? Do you stop driving a car? How many people have ever driven a car and not known where they were? How many times has that happened? How many kilometers? So did awareness vanish? Or did just your awareness of what was happening vanish? So awareness never vanishes, right? Ah, we don't even need that. Ah, it's too complicated. I'm very simple. You notice that, right? I'm very simple. Even consciousness and unconscious, way too complicated for me. How about just there's awareness and there's awareness. There's either aware of awareness or not aware of awareness. There's also that you're unaware that you're unaware. Oh, yes. There's that. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> so what are you going to have to find? You're going to have to find a continuity of awareness. If you can drive down the highway, be on your cell phone, which is what now legal in, is it legal in Manitoba? Yeah. <laughs> is it illegal? No. Okay. So you can, you can have the cell phone going, the radio going, and you can be talking to someone in the back seat, right? And drive. How is that possible? Someone is very, very awake, correct? Isn't someone very, very awake? It's not you. But it's not you, is it? Yeah, okay. But we don't even know that. So, but we do know that something's very, very aware and very awake, yes? And very bright. Go find it. And just wake it up so it's there all day long and merged with a little kind of creature that says you have an eye. A make-believe eye. That's okay. So there's no problem. Go find it. It's there anyways. By this powerful activity, may it lead to the cessation of suffering for all beings. Idante punikamang asawaki wango tu. Idante punikamang asawaki wango tu. Idante May all beings be healthy and happy, and may all beings be found or established in a continuity of freedom, the perfect unity of awareness or wisdom and compassion, and the full manifestation of complete awakening. Sarmangalam, 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 Sarmangalam.